Father, we uh, bow our heads before you to pray, to focus. Uh, also, Father, in a spirit of humility to say, wow, that's so true. We really do need you. That following you is not uh, difficult. Uh, it's impossible. But yet it's fully possible for that to be our reality, to follow you by your strength, by your spirit, instructed by your word, encouraged by your family, the body of Christ. All of those are gifts to us, gifts of your grace. Uh, so, Father, we have nothing to be proud of, even on our best day. But you also, Father, even on our worst days, you love us, you reach out to us, you give us your grace. So, you are so deserving of all of our worship. And Father, now you're deserving of our attention. You're deserving us. Uh, we want to listen to you. So we ask you to teach us from your word in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Get your Bible out. Get your Bible out. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians 1, 27. My name is Pastor Dale. I'm part of the teaching team here uh, with Ryan and... Others, Matt, and it's a joy to, uh, to joy to be back after uh, Becky and I had about a almost a month on the road. Actually, a week in Greece with missionaries in Greece, doing some training. Two weeks in Rwanda, uh, and then uh, about uh, almost a week up in Los Angeles, meeting with some pastors. But this is home, and it's great to be back in my own bed. Oh my gosh! Uh, after that long, longest single time we've ever been on the road. So. Thank you. Many of you pray for us, and I definitely want you to know we appreciate that. So open your Bible today. Let's open today to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27. Where have we been? This book is all about the fact that to live is Christ. And as Paul's been unpacking that in chapter 1, we're going to wrap up chapter 1 today, and you're going to see that these, these four verses at the end of chapter 1 are central to applying everything you've been learning so far. And what have you been learning so far? Well, the last two weeks, for example, Matt did a great job as the teaching team challenged us to focus on, I love this phrase, the commander's intent. In other words, what is it that we're all about? What is at the heart of our mission? And it is that the gospel will advance no matter what. And Paul says in chapter 1, hey, I rejoice even though I'm in jail. People were frustrated when they heard that Paul had been arrested, thrown in jail, might lose his life, and here is their, their grand, kind of like the, the daddy of their church is, in, is jailed, and Paul says, you know something, guess what, whether I'm in jail or whether I'm free, the gospel is advancing, and that's all that really matters. That's what Paul said first. And then Paul said, and by the way, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here to come see you again or not, but guess what? Remember the one thing. And Pastor Ryan did a great job last week unpacking the one thing, and that is that Christ is exalted no matter what. So Paul says again, he says, hey, I rejoice that whether I'm free, whether I'm imprisoned, whether I live and come to see you again and help you, which would be better for you, and, and I'd look forward to that. But if not, even if I die, Christ can be exalted in my life or my death. So get happy, rejoice, because whether in life or death, Christ is going to be exalted no matter what. 
And, and so he's excited. So there's this joyful spirit from the guy that you would expect to find depressed in chains, but he's not. So today now we move to the response to that. Let me show you something. When you study the word in the first 26 verses of chapter 1, 32 times you see the word I, my, me. I, my, me. Why is that? Because Paul's given an update. He's not in love with himself. He's not bragging on himself. He's talking about Jesus, but he's giving them an update on, Christ, on what Christ is doing in him and through him. So there's a lot of I, my, me. Let me give you the update. I know you are asking what's going on. So he gives them that answer. And then in verse 27, it switches. It switches, and it begins with this statement. Look at verse 27 with me. Only... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm. And he goes into how they're going to be standing firm. So notice the difference. What's the big switch? It's from I, my, me to now you, yourselves, you, you, you. He says it like four or five times in the first verse. In other words, this is about responding. If the focus of the commander's intent and remembering the one thing, today we deal with, so what's our response? What is our response? What is our response to the gospel? You can back up a little bit, actually. I'm just having fun while you guys are trying to figure out where I am. That's all right. What is our response to the gospel? That's the question being answered in verses 27 to 30. So let's begin to take apart the passage. And as the guy is correctly put on the screen, it breaks down into five key phrases. And the first one is this, standing firm in one spirit. Let me read it to you, and then we'll take apart the five phrases. See if you can understand them. Here we go. I want to see you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of this gospel of Christ. In other words, if you've received such an incredible gift of the good news of the death and resurrection of Christ. You've been given new life. You've been set free to follow Jesus Christ in the power of His Spirit, and, and your, your life has been changed. So what? So what is our response to that? What's it mean to live a life that is properly aligned to respond to the greatest gift anybody could ever give you? I mean, even humanly speaking, someone surprises you with a surprise gift. Someone gave, gives you, they call it, guess what? I just want to give you a gift, no strings attached. Your natural response is what? It's kind of, wow, I mean, why'd you do this? And then secondly, it's like, well, if I can ever do anything for you someday, let me know, right? That's the natural response. And if we receive this incredible gift of the good news of Christ, then what is our response? And Paul gives it in this phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of this gift. But what in the, what in the world does that mean? Listen to the five phrases. I pray that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you, and that also from God, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, just like me. 
So here are the five phrases that describe this life worthy, living worthy. Number one, he says, I want to see you standing firm in one spirit. Now to understand what's that talking about, the key thing is what's he mean about one spirit? There's actually two ways you can interpret this passage. It can be standing strong, standing together, united in one spirit, as in purpose, vision, or passion. What's, you have a common vision, a common passion as a church. You're united in, you know what you're all about. Or it could be spirit with a capital S. There's no way in the Greek language, when the, what the scriptures are written in, whether they don't, everything was in capitals when the scribes wrote. So you don't really know if it's capital, little s, big s, right? And uh, so the large s spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, is also possible. So I studied this, read all the best research, and here's my conclusion. I have no idea. Because you really can't tell from the context, because both interpretations would actually be true and would fit the passage. I probably lean toward the little s in this passage. He's talking about, I want you to be united by a common vision and purpose. But in reality, we know from Scripture elsewhere that you can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to do anything that we do. So I just kind of combine the two. You can choose or you can take my approach. He's perhaps thinking of both. If you read the message, for example, the paraphrase uh, that I often like to read. It translates this, stand united, singular in vision, little s. Whichever one it is, uh, let me teach you a little bit of Kenyawanda. Kenyawanda is the language spoken by my friends in Rwanda, where our team from Seacoast just got back from. So this was in my mind. And it's an interesting word. It's not a common word. It's a very rare word in Kenyawanda, but it's pronounced dukomezinye. Now, you need to say it that way. You put the emphasis on the last syllable, okay? Say it with me. Duco, mes, en, ye. Okay, duco, mes, en, ye. Ready? One more time. Together. Duco, mes, en, ye. What's that mean? It means strong together is what it literally means in their language. Strong together. And it's this emphasis on the fact that we are only strong when we are united. I heard a uh, teacher in Rwanda teach this, and he was from Northern California. So even though uh, it, he had to kind of explain it to his African audience, he said, when I hear this word in your language, it makes me think of the trees in Northern California called the giant sequoias, the giant redwood trees. And he explained to them that these giant trees grow over 300 feet tall but yet they can stand against fire and wind and storms and they don't blow over and they don't fall over. And how does a tree that's that big, that heavy, that tall stand up? And the answer is what? Strong roots, but not strong individual roots. That's not the secret. You never see these huge redwoods all off by themselves. Very rare to see that. They don't last. The ones that really last and grow tall are the ones that, you know, you've seen them probably if you've been there. There was the big mother tree initially at some point, and then as the mother tree grew up, you know, the mother tree is constantly dropping the, the cones and, and sprouting little baby trees around it, and, and those baby trees are often in a ring around it because if, even if the mother tree dies, all the other trees around it, they're actually still connected to the roots of the mother tree. 
And actually, the roots of the mother tree continue to feed not just the mother tree, but the other trees. And they send out their roots. And under the surface, there is this network of their roots interconnected with one another. And that's why they don't blow over. Because it's not just one giant tree with great roots. It's a group of trees with their roots intertwined under the surface, connected together, so you can't blow over one without blowing over the whole bunch if they stay connected. And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, I want to hear that you are strong together as a church. You're not just individually growing in Jesus. You're also growing together, loving one another, dealing, helping one another deal with whatever life throws your way. That is the model for the church. That's the model for the church. Secondly, there's a second source of strength, though. The phrase actually says, I want to hear that you are firm together in one spirit and firm together with one mind. Number two, you're not just uh, strong together, united in spirit and, his, and, and empowered by his spirit. You are, you are thinking together. You're united because you're all being transformed by a common truth called God's word. You're united by the truth of the gospel. You're united by the truth of God's word. You're learning to think differently about life. It makes me think of uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If, you want, if you're taking notes, and I do provide an outline, so maybe use it. It'll help you today. Uh, on the notes, write Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because Paul also says to the Roman church, he says that we are, we are to respond to the good news of the gospel. Therefore, present ourselves as living sacrifices. But then he goes on to say, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because we grow up being taught uh, wrong stuff. We grow up buying into very subtle lies about life, about God, about yourself, about what life is consists of and its best and and we buy into all the lies of the culture the lies of this world and, and they and they and they and they cloud and pervert our thinking he says i want to i want you to be united standing firm with one mind it's not like they all have one brain but they got one source of truth that is renewing their minds learning how to really think. Um, and when that happens, great things happen. Um, one of the, uh, I was talking to Ryan, and Ryan said, Dale, if, you, if it fits the sermon, you ought to tell a couple stories about your last trip. And probably one of the highlights, if you talk to uh, uh, Lisa Neal or, or Jennifer Kurz, or, or if you talk to Pam Mabry or my wife Becky, one of the highlights that we all agreed was just a high point for us was when uh, World Relief, who was our host organization, they took us one day outside of the capital of Kigali, uh, which is a uh, thriving, uh, improving, uh, almost model city for trying to turn around uh, a nation like Rwanda. But they took us to the area of Bugacera. Bugacera is a region fairly close to Kigali, but next thing you know, within an hour's drive of Kigali, you're in an area in which there is no electricity, in which um, if you're fortunate to have a house, it's built out of your front yard. 
In other words, you have a little plot of land, you dig up your front yard, you dig up the dirt, you mix it in a frame, you make wood, you make uh, in a wooden frame, you, 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 make, you make enough um, mud bricks to construct your own house out of mud brick, and, and that's your home. And it's usually a single room or at most two rooms, uh, and, and an entire family, if not a couple families, will be living there, sleeping on a mat on the floor. But that's the good life. But you also don't have clean water. So you gotta, you got to walk sometimes up to two hours to the nearest river carrying a couple big yellow jerry cans, they call them, or jugs that I think hold about eight, I think about eight gallons each. Do the math on that. It's pretty heavy. And you got to do that every day just to get the filthiest, dirtiest water you could imagine. And then you got to carry it back. And then you got to boil it or try to purify it somehow. And that's, it's, it's a huge problem. And if you're blessed to have a, a, a bathroom, it's not in the house, that's for sure. It's usually a small mud brick uh, little structure made for one. Okay, I've never seen a double holer yet, but uh, with a hole in the ground and a couple boards to stand on. And that's it. But that's, that's the good life. That's the good life. So we had a privilege of visiting one of these villages in Bugacera and seeing the power of the gospel as it brings together, World Relief brings together eight or nine different churches of everyone from Pentecostals to Anglicans to Baptists to EV Free, whatever. And, and they're working together for the good of the community. And they're working together for the advancement of the gospel. And they're, and they're, and they're sharing the good news of Christ, but they're also teaching people to build out of uh, plastic buckets like you get with paint in them at Home Depot. Okay, those buckets, the plastic drywall buckets or paint buckets, and they've learned to build filters out of those that can filter their water so that you and I could drink it. And so they, they have health. They're teaching them how to prevent AIDS through marital faithfulness and not just how to not have sex outside of marriage, but to how to have a good marriage where your sexual relationship blossoms and love is in the marriage and husbands realize it's not acceptable to slap your wife like they have for generations and felt that's just the way you do it. If she's out of line, that's the quickest way to bring her back in line. And they began to learn that in no case whatsoever would a follower of Jesus want to do that. So they're pushing against the culture. They're pushing against their history. But they're teaching godliness. They're teaching, they're teaching biblical principles for marriage and family. And families are being transformed. Wow. So then they took us from the church where we met the pastors to one of the pastors to a home in near his church. And, and we interviewed two couples that came to share their stories with us through translation. And both men, as they stood up, I, can't, I don't have time to give you the long version, but both men, as the first man stood up, he began like this. He said, before I met Jesus, I was a very bad man. I beat my wife. I was driven for sex. I was addicted to alcohol, banana beer. And I was homeless and worthless. But these people from this church loved on me and helped my family and 
helped us get clean water and did this for us and that. And, and then they explained to me what Jesus did for me and I came to know Jesus. And since I came to know Jesus, I'm a different man. I'm a different man and now I love my wife. I don't beat my wife. Used to, but I don't do that anymore. I'm faithful to my wife. And now we have a family and a marriage and a garden and God is blessing. And, and, and it's all because of Christ. And then they introduced the wife, and she shared her story. And then they introduced the second couple. And what well, I'll never forget is the second man stood up. He was beaming. He had this bright, bright smile that would just almost shock you. And, and he said, before Jesus, I was just like my neighbor, but only worse. And as a result, I have AIDS. I gave my wife AIDS. I was worthless. I was a bad man. He says, but then they had shared Jesus with me and we saw the change in their life and, and now I have trusted in Jesus Christ and, and now just, the, just recently God has enabled with the help of the church for, for me to build a small home for my family out of mud brick. I now have a home and, and I now have a toilet behind my home that I can use and, 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 I, and I now have a water filter and... and, and, and and, and, and we just learned that of our children, none of our children have AIDS. My children don't have AIDS. I have a mud brick house and I got a water filter. And then he said this, there's nothing more in life that I could want. Life is so good. He was so content, so joyful. And he and his wife sing in the worship team and his wife writes worship music and Someday I'll play you on video the four of them singing together in that little home. And I come home and first week I'm back in my house after traveling. My hot water tank goes out. And I think, God, how could you let this happen? At least I'm tempted to. God, how do you expect me to take a cold shower in water that I can drink while I bathe in it? I mean, we got water in our toilets that you could drink. Not that I'm recommending that to the children in the room, but the reality is we do. And our problems are not serious problems. Our problems that I stress over in my life, more often than not, Becky and I, as we begin to get, Ooh, you know, the car broke down, there, this and that, and the hot water tank goes out, and I got to buy a new one, and, you know, this isn't working, and, you know, and, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, is these are rich man problems. To quote my friend Andy Stanley. These are rich man problems. You don't have these problems unless you're rich by the world standard. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm criticizing you if you get a little stressed when things break and get expensive. I, I realize it's a different world here in Southern California, but men and women, these are rich man problems. We don't have the real problems the real problems are things more serious. And, and the reality is they have been so transformed in their thinking. They had been taught the Word of God. They were learning how to live, learning how to do marriage, learning how to raise their kids, learning how to be faithful, even in the midst of AIDS, to make sure they don't spread it further. Even though they know that they live with a death sentence. They don't have all the drugs and technology that we have to help those who are struggling with AIDS. They know where they're headed. But they know that their home is heaven 
and that they're, in the meantime, blessed incredibly to know Jesus Christ. So it begins to change the thinking, and as a result, you stand firm because the world's thinking that begins to tell you, you can't believe God loves you because you have this problem. You realize that that's not, that's not true. So you stand firm in the Word. You stand strong together in spirit, by His Spirit. Number three, let's move on. Number three, he says, and I want to hear that you are striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's phrase number three. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. What's that mean? Well, it means that you are more joyful when you are working together. You're not just standing together, thinking together. You're, you're serving and working together, united in a common mission. That is the advance of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. That our faith is not just in something generic. Our faith is in good news that actually happened in real time in history. That God came down to earth, died for your sin and mine, rose from the dead to prove it really was from God. And we have the promises of God, the presence of His Spirit, the body of Christ. We got everything we need. And we're working together on a common mission. And what this does for life is it takes my life from being something that uh, is all about me uh, to, you know, in which I get incredibly frustrated, if that's true, because I never get my needs met. There are too many of them. To realizing, no, 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 that's not how life is lived. We, we change our paradigm as to what life is about. And we begin to work together. And you connect up under the surface like those big giant redwood trees where your roots intertwine with my roots and the roots of other followers of Jesus and you're helping one another and you're serving a common mission with a common word of God to guide you standing firm together. Now that's life. Now you can begin to stand no matter what life throws at you. That's strength. Standing firm firm together, but also for a common purpose. Now I have a reason to get out of bed. I, so I need to have a job. I need to go to work. I need to go to school. But I got a deeper reason behind everything I do in my life. It's like Ryan pointed out a few weeks ago, to live is Christ. Verse 21 that we've already studied. To live is Christ. Whether in life, if I live in Christ, that's great. If I die in Christ, that's gain. You know, I can't lose. I just can't lose. When Christ is at the middle of life instead of me at the middle of life. I didn't have time to go into depth on this point of the sermon, so guess what? I gave you a bonus. The bonus is on the bottom of your outline in a box, okay? So if you don't look at the outline, you're going to miss this. But here's the bonus. The bonus is to realize that what's being described is a shift in thinking and living from a, what I call the American paradigm for life versus the Jesus paradigm. The American paradigm, real quick, is this. Live for yourself, get all you can from others, and fear death because death is the end. When death happens, it's over. The Jesus paradigm that Paul is teaching is, no, no, no. To live is Christ. You put Jesus Christ not as a part of your life. In fact, I would say this. Jesus is not the most important part of your life. He's life. See the difference? If you think Jesus is the most important part of your life, then you just say he's the biggest slice of the pie. 
No, no, no. Jesus doesn't want to be the biggest slice of your pie. He's the pie. He's in the center of the pie, and he pervades every part of your life. That's when life becomes fun. That's when it becomes the way God designed you to live. When God, in the person of Jesus Christ, is at the center of life, then he improves and affects your friends, your job, your work, how you handle your money, your involvement with your ministry, your church, uh, your kids, your marriage. Christ pervase, is pervasive over all of life. So therefore, my summary is the American paradigm is life is short. I'm the focus. So love me, serve me, and I'm going to try to be happy. Happiness is my goal, but it's going to elude me most of the time. It's temporary. comes and goes. The Jesus paradigm is, look, life is eternal, not short. So quit thinking of your life as if it's going to end when your heart stops beating. It's not true. You're an eternal spiritual being. Realize that life is eternal. Christ should be the focus. Love him, serve others, and then joy is the promised result, not happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening. If what's happening changes, happiness goes away. Joy can be rooted and grounded in a relationship with Christ that, like Paul says, hey, you know, guess what? Throw my butt in jail, let me free, doesn't really matter. Because guess what? If I'm in jail, i got a new audience, and they're captive. they got to listen to me. Maybe God wants me to be the jailhouse guy. If I get free, great. That's, that's gravy. But, you know, it's, it's Christ is exalted. The gospel is advanced. No matter where I am, no matter what happens, and even if they kill me, I will die in such a way that it exalts Christ. I can't lose. See, it's a whole different way to think about life, isn't it? So ask yourself this morning, which paradigm drives me? Okay? Don't buy into the American paradigm. Number four, number four. What's the fourth one? So if you do all this, will life go easy? Well, number four and five kind of corrects that. Number four, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, Paul says. In no way do you want to be alarmed by your opponents. So my takeaway from that is this. Be prepared, ready to face opposition and conflict. See, Christians today get, get deceived into thinking, if I follow Jesus Christ, if I seek to do what I'm supposed to do, if I, you know, then, then life is going to smooth out and nobody's going to get upset. You know, you know, I'll, have a, I'll have an easier life. Jesus never predicts easy. In fact, Jesus predicts things like persecution. He says, you know, the world hated me. If you follow me, you kind of got to get ready. And sometimes you and the world are going to come into conflict. Expect it. Don't be alarmed by it. My favorite verse on this, I'll show it to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to it. Read it and let it soak in as I, as I read it. Peter writes, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Well, as if you're doing what's right, if you're following Christ. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ. Make Him Lord of your life, Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence or respect. That's a great verse. See, what he's saying is, you know, and Paul says, 
I want you to be so excited about Christ, so changed in as you stand firm together, strong together, um, thinking together in a different way, learning my truth, standing together, supporting one another, loving one another. Uh, don't get rattled when you get criticized. Don't get rattled by the fact not everybody in the world buys it. But let them see your hope and be ready to explain this is why what you see is different. And just humbly be ready to explain it. I'll give you a quick story. Becky and I came back from Africa. We went up to east of L.A., um, meeting with some pastors to try to encourage them. Uh, we had a free evening, so we went out to dinner one night, went to a Mexican place. When you've spent two weeks in Africa, they don't do Mexican in Africa. So, man, we were just ready to just... You know, and we went for a happy hour because Dale is cheap. So, so we go for a happy hour to this place, uh, and, um, and, and, and they seat us in the dining room, and, and it's like no one else is there. place is pretty empty. And we meet Rosa. Rosa's our waitress. Rosa comes over and starts taking care of us. And, and, um, and in, the con in, in the midst of us just getting to know Rosa, uh, she kind of begins to, to share. I said, so how are you doing? And she said, oh my gosh, it's kind of hard right now. I said, if you don't mind, what's going on? She says, well, my husband lost his job, so I'm working extra shifts and I've been here for a long time today, and, um, and I'm going to be here until late tonight. And I got three kids. One of them is just a young one. And it's just, it's just hard. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, how long have you been married? She said, I've been married 20 years. And my wife and I smiled, and we said, Rosa, that's incredible. Almost nobody does that today. Congratulations. And her face just dropped. And she said, well, I don't know if I have many more in me. Because that's not good either. Yeah, we're married, but that's about it. And I've been wondering, can I, maybe I should just, and she looked at us like for advice, maybe I should just give up on my marriage. Okay, so all of a sudden, I'm in this empty restaurant, just me, Becky, and Rosa. And I say, Rosa, I said, um, I said, Rosa, how long do you think we've been married? This is my wife. need to say that because she looked like my daughter. <laughs> Gets confused every once in a while. She said, oh, maybe 30 years? I said, bless you, Rosa. You're making me feel young. Um, so we've been married for almost 43 years, and it's good. It's good. It's not perfect, but it's good. You can, you can have a really good marriage, Rosa. And she said, you need to tell me what the secret is. She just got in my face. You need to tell me what the secret is. So I look around. I said, well, Rosa, I said, we can talk further when you're not busy she said i'm not busy <laughs> she's asking say rosa here's the deal i said there's a lot i could tell you but the foundational thing to be beginning is jesus christ is at the center of my wife and myself our marriage 
and that's what's made the difference. If not, I'd, be, I'd probably be divorced today. But Jesus has taught us how to better love each other. He's taught us how to forgive each other when we screw up. And it's that relationship is the most important thing. She says, well, I, I think I, she says, I believe in Jesus, but my husband has no interest. So, well, Rose, I'll, I'll pray for you, but that's the foundational thing. And, uh, and then there are, there are truths that God teaches about how to, how to love and how to forgive. And there's some truth that you could learn that would help you. And, and, um, and about that time, I could tell there were a couple more customers coming in, and she's like, got to go. I said, Rosa, let me ask you. Let me ask you. I said, if you give me your address, you slip me your address, my wife and I will send you a book that really helped our marriage. It has a lot of the principles that we've built our marriage on. And um, I'll be happy to send that to you. She said, you do that? I said, sure. And we'll pray for you. And when you, you know, and, and you pray for us. And she gave us her address. We got home a few days later and mailed her the book. I said, just promise me one thing, Rosa. If this book helps you, you got to pass it on to somebody else you know that's struggling. She said, I promise. Now, what's going on in that little story? I think what's going on in that story is simply this. It's simply that you're living your life, you're letting Jesus Christ, you're standing firm together, connected to the church, growing in your faith, growing in your ability to love each other. Hopefully your marriage is beginning to be a little different than what the world typically sees. But then the extra thing is when she says, wow, I can't believe you're married 43 years, you don't just say, yeah, I guess we're lucky. You give glory to God, you exalt Jesus Christ, put Him where He deserves to be, give Him the credit, and just let them decide if they want more information. Some people say, well, maybe I'm glad it worked for you, it's not for me, and they walk off. That's okay. You can't control their reaction. But we live every day surrounded by people who are clueless in trying to figure out life. They don't understand God. They don't understand forgiveness they think being better and trying to make yourself religious might get you into heaven. And, and, and they don't understand God's grace and goodness. And, and they need to hear the essence of the gospel. But they also need to see it. See, I love what Paul said in this letter when he said, I want to hear of your faith. I want it to be a good reputation that's spreading. Now, we, our faith may not spread from Philippi to Rome, but... Does your faith spread from where you live across the street? Do you let your neighbors, your friends, people you work with at work, do you let them know that something's going on in our life and it's rooted below the surface in a connection to Jesus Christ and to others who know and love Him and invite them to, to get in on the secret? Last but not least, know that even if you do all of this, at times you're going to suffer. Paul says, you know, it's been appointed to you to not only believe in Jesus, but those who believe in Jesus are going to suffer like Jesus. I'm suffering. You're going to suffer. Get ready. Embrace it. But knowing that suffering together, knowing Christ and His cause are worth it, you can have joy. You can have joy. You can suffer together with joy, 
You can strive together in service. You can stand together. You can think together around the Word of God. And all of that. Ducumezinye. Ducumezinye. You get yourself rooted in the truth of God's Word and the Gospel, and you live out of that. God will use you. If you were to summarize what I just said, uh, Matt Carlson gave me a little acronym of J-O-Y, and it goes like this. J is center your life in Jesus Christ. O is think of others, serve others, loving them toward Christ. And then why? Then focus on your life, but always remembering your life is not rooted here. The best is yet to come for followers of Christ. It's in eternity. And as you do that, everything changes. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the, uh, for the joy that you give us as we engage with you, walk with you, follow you. And as the band comes to lead us uh, in some closing worship, Father, we thank you that you have transformed us with your gospel. You've given us a new life, connected us, that we might stand firm together, that we might stand strong in the word together, that we might uh, learn to think according to scripture and live out of that. Even if we have opponents even if we suffer, may those opponents, may those with questions, may those with criticism actually open opportunities to share the good news and the hope in us. So we love you. We thank you for the joy of uh, following Christ. In your name, amen.